And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, January 16th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. It is the beginning of our position preview series. The 2024 position preview series is upon us. So a lot of episodes coming out here in the next few weeks. The schedule for this week will include episodes previewing second base, third base, and first base all before the end of the week. We'll get to the catchers and UT only players next week and all the outfielders. The following week, beginning January 29th, is pitcher week because there are some new bells and whistles that we have for pitchers. We want to make sure we have all of those at our disposal before we get to Pitcher Week. Uh, if you got questions, you can send those our way, ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. You can leave us a comment on YouTube. We'd really appreciate anybody who does that. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't done so already. Smash the like button, rate and review the podcast. Do all those things that help keep things warm during this very, very cold part of the season. But I love draft season. You know, I love the previews. They're my favorite episodes of the entire year. Uh, yeah, it's so much fun. I mean, there's hope. <laughs> there's hope yes and every team you're drafting you look you look at it through the eyes of the the rose-colored glasses and uh you're gonna win every league and everything's great yeah i'm dominating the draft and hold league we started up about a week ago <laughs> i feel great about that even though we still got about 22 picks to make so there's lots of ways it could actually go wrong it could be dead already for all i know but i feel good about it that's all that matters. So uh, if you're new to our position previews, this is what we do. We group the players by the NFBC's ADP. We usually look back at the last seven days. So it's kind of a moving target as we move through the series. But the reason we do that is just to get a sense of where players go in some of the more competitive drafts that are out there right now. And then we can give you a better sense of whether or not we like the player, generally speaking, at their 2024 price or if we're kind of shying away or if they're just sort of fine at value. Right. That's sort of the crux of what we're doing here. We're going to have rankings coming out during pitcher week. That'll be for all the positions as well. So we will have rankings later on. And this is sort of the, the groundwork for those rankings as we kind of figure out what's happening and how we can best tackle this board. A lot of it, it ends up being sort of on the fly prep work for our drafts as well. <laughs> As we've uh, established, we, we learn by doing. You have to be in the problem to solve it most effectively. At least that's how my brain tends to work. But we begin in tier one, fun place to be, where I put the top 30 players in because there's a natural break there. We usually talk about 15 team leagues during this part of draft season, especially because a lot of draft and hold leagues have 15 teams in them. Top 30 overall shortstops include Bobby Witt Jr., Trey Turner, Corey Seager, Ellie De La Cruz, and Francisco Lindor. We start with Witt, who really has the skills to be the best overall player in the pool. And that's the the simple one-liner on him. And if it weren't for a historically great Ronald Acuna Jr. season in 2023, there would probably be some leagues 
where Wit goes one overall, but Acuna is a consensus 1-1 as much as we've really seen over the time we played fantasy baseball. Uh, so you have Wit right up there in the top of the round, and I was just looking before the show again at the difference between the StatCast lollipops on his baseball savant page from 2022 compared to 2023. Uh, the concerns I had about Wit as a late first rounder last year have been destroyed. He has absolutely decimated them, and he's established himself as one of the best all-around players in our game. Yeah, well, I think what's interesting about his improvements is that I'm going to say the flaws remain. That's a little bit rough, but like the baseline player, the things that you were looking at, they didn't really go away. I mean, he still doesn't walk, and he didn't walk before. His OBP was still below average for what you expect, at least out of you know a top of the lineup player. Uh, he still kind of chased balls outside the zone. But what you do see is improvement in all the ways that are possible and incremental. It's something that does not scream, you know, career year or lucky guy or whatever. You know, it's just what happens when you're young and you get better. And I think that the place that you can look for improvement the most is in walks and strikeouts. And what we saw is he chased a little bit less. He walked a little bit more. He struck out a little bit less. He swung and, str- and, and missed a little bit less. And all of those things led to, you know, what we saw in the overall line. What he didn't do was change his ground ball fly ball mix that much, you know. Uh, what he didn't do was change his max EV. So, you know, that's why we care about these things in young players, you know, ground ball, fly ball mix, and max EV. That that gives you an idea of what their power output's going to be. Um, but it also is a lesson for us to remember that, you know, players can get better, especially when it comes to plate skills. Yeah, and, and that improvement in K rate was kind of the big one for me, from 21.4%, which wasn't bad, to 17.4% in year two. Doing that while getting a higher barrel rate, uh, making better contact. 49 for 64 as a base stealer. Um, so maybe the success rate could get a little better, but it's it's the Royals. I don't think they're going to back off him in any any stretch. He's got a, a 100 percentile sprint speed, so he's a burner. That that part of his game is safe, and you know, popping 30 home runs, especially in that ballpark, is really impressive as well. I think you summed it up. Like It's possible we haven't even seen his best season yet, so there's a ton to like there. I think what it comes down to with Witt this year is if you're in one of those early draft positions, if you're picking second and Acuna's gone, it's Witt versus Julio Rodriguez and Corbin Carroll, Mookie Betts, or maybe even taking the first pitcher off the board and Spencer Strider. And it kind of comes down to some of the things we're going to talk about over the course of, of this episode. Like, how much do you like the other players at this position? Do you want to lean into the depth at shortstop and avoid some of these early guys, even though there's absolutely nothing wrong with this, this top tier of players? Um, Trey Turner at least showed some warts for the first time really in his entire big league career, but it was coming off of signing a, a huge contract to go to Philadelphia. And that sluggish first half really kind of faded from July 1st onward. He hit 284 with a 337 OBP, 539 slug. That's pretty much in line with typical Trey Turner sort of production, kind of right back into that that first round mold. Uh, still running really well for his age, too. Not really showing any signs of slowing down physically. Uh, do you have any reservations at all about uh, Turner as kind of a, a late first-round guy for this year's board? I think one of the stranger things is that by steamer projections, he's the 27th best bat. You know, And that's not how he's being drafted. That's not how he's being treated. 
it's not how I think of him. Um, and so it's a little bit weird for me to unplug that. I, I, I think it has to do with the, maybe the aging curve at 30 years old. Maybe it's all just sort of uh, projected to decline, but also just, I think, a little bit strange <laughs> of a stolen base projection. Something I'm seeing, uh, I, I feel like, across Steamer, maybe Steamer's struggling to deal with the one-year blip in rule changes because Trey Turner score, uh, stole 30 bases last year, and I thought that was a little bit low given the, the rule changes, and he's projected to steal 25 next year. I just, I don't know about that. And then here's a guy who has, you know, demonstrated a certain level of power and went to a nice new park and hit 26 homers and he's projected for 22. And then maybe even the weirdest is why project him for 95 runs and 83 RBI? He's scored more than 100 runs three years in a row and that Phillies team knows how to hit. So... There's a lot of sort of these weird underlying things that are taking away from his projection, but maybe they're pointing to some flaws, which is he is older. Uh, he isn't really a, a power hitter with a capital P. Uh, the strikeout rate did go the wrong way last year. Maybe there's something to worry about with Turner. I think if we had seen a prolonged stretch like the first half, if we'd seen most of a full season like that, things would look really different. I think because he'd shown these skills before, kind of getting back to that for three months was enough to get people to buy back in. I think the projections are a little bit aggressive dinging him for his age. Like, I think we'd see we'd see evidence of his age being a problem in declining speed if it were a problem. And we're just not seeing that. And again, that supporting cast, that keeps things afloat. The power being more stable than anybody expected it to be at this stage of his career, especially. I think that's a nice sign as well. A 320 OBP for the season last year is the lowest he's really ever posted. We're not going to count the the 27 games from his debut all the way back in, in 2015. Um, but I do like him where he's going. He's kind of a late first-round option pretty consistently, just outside the top 10 overall. I have no problem taking him. It's basically Turner versus a couple of outfielders, Soto, Judge, Otani, who's only going to hit this year. No problem taking Turner with that group of players. I think it's a, it's a good overall value. I think maybe the the more challenging player, at least of the occasional first-rounders, is Corey Seager. He was the 16th-ranked hitter in 2023 earned value by the auction calculator. Nobody ahead of him played less, right? He missed some time again with an injury, and I believe it was a hit-by-pitch this year, so it wasn't necessarily like a soft tissue or a hip or any of the things that had bothered him in the past. I'm starting to wonder if Corey Seager is like the new Freddie Freeman. And not the Freddie Freeman that just started stealing bases late in his career, but the Freddie Freeman from three, four, five years ago, where we looked at him and said, oh, the average is great. The run production's great. Maybe the power's a tick lighter than some of the other first rounders. Ah, I'm just going to take somebody else. And then he keeps turning out value that puts him right back in the same spot year over year over year. Um, so I'm curious what you think about Seeger and especially how much his injury history prior to 2023 kind of weighs into your overall expectations for him. Where did you where did he end up on the year? He was sixteenth among hitters. Yeah, but again, nobody ahead of him played less, right? So if you, you give him the same plate appearances as the guys ahead of him, he moves up a couple bucks and probably finishes top ten pretty easily. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on here. The the Steward prediction has him as the twenty first bat with six hundred and twenty three plate appearances, and I just don't get how those two things are true. 
<laughs> right. If he plays that much, he should be higher. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I don't understand that so much. The the Fangraphs death charts, which right now the only difference between the Fangraphs death charts projections and the Steamer projections is playing time, uh, because Fangraphs death charts will include stuff like zips later when it's fully uh, released. But right now, Steamer is the only one that's fully released. So, uh, Fangraphs Death Charts has them at 595 plate appearances, which makes some sense. Um, and that's about where I'd project him. Uh, he could be a little bit healthier this year. He did have that long string of lots of injuries. So, I can't really push him over 600. But I also think he's going to be better than that projection on a per plate appearance basis. So I'm going to give him uh, just around 600 plate appearances, you know, 32 homers, 100, uh, 100 runs, maybe 100 RBI, a 300 average. I think all of that will lead to, you know, back-end top 20 status. Stolen bases are everywhere, right? We've talked about this. But but Corey Seager doesn't offer that. So does it, does it hurt him the way it has long hurt Carlos Correa to not steal bases at a position where just about everybody does it's it's okay I, i'm in the middle of that of that build where i you know i i didn't buy um steals early i got juan soto and corbin burns and vlad guerrero for my top three picks um and just you end up paying freight for everybody that steals the way the, the the further you go, so I had to jump Haseon Kim a little bit because I liked his multi eligibility and I liked his steals. I I picked Cedric Mullins and we had a listener, you know, poke at that one a little bit, being like, "Is he you know is he a trade candidate? You know, is he going to play every day? That's a pretty crowded team." Um, I might have jumped Tyro Estrada a little bit. Starling Marte is old, but he stole bases. Dalton Varsho hits 210, but he still bases. So you you kind of can get into a little trouble, even if you're saying, oh, stolen bases are everywhere. You know what I mean? Like you are buying these like kind of more flawed players at kind of higher prices because of, you know, the choices you made early on. And, you know, you want so much bulk early on. So I can't defend taking Seeger in the first. And Seeger in the second, I can see it, but <laughs> there's Ellie De La Cruz, right? We haven't talked about yet. They're right next to each other, man. And you couldn't, you, you couldn't really create two profiles that are more different <laughs> no, right now. Really. <laughs> <laughs> like what, what they offer in terms of they of both hit the ball track hard. record, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like that, that underlying skill is the same, but Ellie. There, there's a world in which Ellie just plays great defense, and even if the the overall offensive value in real life lags, he's still wildly valuable in Roto, which is not totally unlike what we were talking about at the top with Bobby Witt Jr., right? I mean, we talk about WRC Plus a lot on the show as a, a good measure of overall value. In Witt, we have a guy that got a lot better last year. He had a 115 WRC Plus and he missed going 30-50 by a stolen base. There's a pretty big gap between how valuable a 30-50 season is in Roto and a 115 WRC plus in real life, right? I mean, 115 is probably top 40, top 50 type hitter league-wide for an everyday sort of player. 30-50, <laughs> that's a, a guy that goes to the top part of the draft board. 
De La Cruz could do that. That's possible. The problem we continue to run into is if the swing and miss problems that were there, especially as his debut season unfolded, if those don't get better quickly, they do have enough depth to cut off the playing time, even just for a few weeks. They have that in there. It's in the range of outcomes. So you have this guy that could easily be a first rounder, an early first rounder next year, or you could have a guy that takes a little bit longer to get there, even though the tools are just so clear and obvious. Yeah, the the the, the interesting thing about him is that he swings at pitches high in the zone, Ellie De La Cruz does. Um, but he has this big ground ball rate that everyone's worried about. And, you know, uh, I think that's the crux of where the massive improvement will come. If he can just focus more on the high balls that he hits for fly balls and for homers um, and stay away from those lower balls, you saw even in his first at bat in the big leagues, Tony Gonsolin kept like through like three or four breaking balls low and into him in a row. And I think that's that's the book on him is try to get him to swing at things that are low in the zone. But, you know, over the course of the season, I saw some improvement just by watching him. Um, and we saw his chase rate go from 45 percent in the first 20 games uh, to the rolling chase percentage was 25 and 26 percent at the end of the season. So I I think that. There is a, a massive chance for like, I know he's projected for this 96 WRC plus and, you know, uh, he's also projected for some reason for 31 stolen bases after he stole 35 and 427 plate appearances. So <laughs> I, I, I think he's like, you know, the real projection for him is like a 240 batting average, 20 homers, 50 stolen bases. And, you know, putting that up against Seager and thinking about what choosing Ellie over Seager does for the rest of the way. I, I think I might take Ellie over uh, a Seager, despite the massive difference in projections. Um, I just think the projections are wrong on that level. And then given the changes that we saw in his chase rate over the season, that I think is going to be the source of the biggest uh, part of improvement from him. And we've seen throughout the minor leagues, he had normal ground ball rates. So I don't think it's fair to say... He's a 50% ground ball guy. He's always going to hit ground balls. That's the problem. You know, he's not going to fix it. I see the chase rate, the improving selectivity, and the and the 40% ground ball rates in the minor leagues. And I say there's a massive potential here for a, a big jump. And it could be it could be very Wittian, you know. I think we could be talking next year about like, oh, Ellie's a, a perennial top five pick. Yeah, I'm trying not to make the same mistakes over and over again. My hesitation with Wit last draft season you know, was not necessarily a good thing. And even his rookie year, I was hesitant to buy in. I think he was going in fourth, fifth round of a 15-team league by the time we got to March. I thought that was too steep. So this is different. This is a little less track record. And I think the ground ball rate, it's a topic that comes up for Ellie. I'm not worried about that at all. Scale of 1 to 10, that's like a 1. In terms of my level of worry about his ground ball, more worried about I'm more worried about the strikeout. Yeah, because it was I mean, it was, it was been thirty percent, thirty percent at A and high A and double A and in the debut, young for his level. So it's not it's not the curse for his whole career or anything. It's just a legitimate thing that's going to probably take some time for him to work on. But he hits the ball so hard and does so many things well that he can probably get away with 
taking some time to figure it out and still be a really good fantasy player. So I'm warming up to him as someone I might take. I, I think your, your your level of risk, it's like, what are your goals, right? Are you playing in a high stakes league with an overall prize? Do you want Ellie more in a situation like that where the everything that goes right could be the thing that makes you have a fantastic season? Or do you want him in a a lower stakes home league or both like like your risk tolerance is kind of a key factor in all of this too. Um, it sounds like you're a little more comfortable with them than I am. I think if you just, if you do take Ellie here, you got a plan, you got to be a little more careful with some of your other the early around foundational is, pieces. The biggest thing is pitching. It, there's a toggle there. If you don't take pitching in the first two rounds, you know, you have to get a little lucky on what falls to you in third. So if you're in a 10 or 12 team league, you're more likely to get, you know, a top five, top 10, type pitcher you know in the third round uh and so it makes it a little bit more palatable i think to take him there uh, in other leagues uh you know one there are two reactions to the increased offensive production there was last year which is one is i need to get one of the top five starting pitchers because they represent bulk and quality in a way that nobody else does or you say well everybody's era is inflated you know i want to get eat up all the the hitting and, and find my pitching later because everyone's got an ERA that starts with like a 3-7 anyway. Yeah, I'm trying the weight slightly on pitching right now in our aforementioned draft and hold, and it feels okay, not great. Um, but I, I do think the toss-up between an ace and Ellie is one that you really have to think about before you sit down at the draft table. Uh, last player in this tier, Francisco Lindor, sitting kind of right there, right around pick 30. Had a nice uh, kind of bounce back year, relatively speaking. It wasn't like 2022 was a disaster for him or anything, but I think he got back to a power speed level that some people thought might have been in his rearview mirror. 31 homers and 31 steals. He was 31 for 35, too, so he was really efficient. Best barrel rate of his career at 10.4%, and he did it in a place that's really tough to hit, too. So uh, I'm curious if you've kind of changed your your feelings towards Lindor. Because if I remember correctly, he was someone you weren't necessarily excited about as an early rounder a year ago. I don't remember that part, but I, uh, I'm i looking. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember last year. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I have this cheat sheet that I've created that has chase rate and zone swing rate, uh, trying to improve my use of chase rate by also looking at zone aggression. Barrel rate, maxi V, and hard hit. And there are three, no, there are four shortstops in the top 15 that are green all the way through. I did some, some nice uh, conditional formatting. And uh, the, the four, four shortstops that are green all the way through are Bobby Wood Jr., Corey Seager, Francisco Lindor, and Gunnar Henderson. Um, and they all are, uh, patient outside the zone, aggressive inside the zone. Although Seager has perfected that to the point that there's a piece by Robert Orr on baseball perspectives called the creating a stat called the Seager, uh, which is about being aggressive on pitches you can do well with and, uh, laying off the rest. Uh, that's why I put zone swing in. It's a way to kind of look at, you don't want guys who just don't swing. Um, you know, that's, that's not necessarily the best way uh, forward for offense, but you know, these four things I think are show you raw power, game power and plate discipline. I could add a uh, strikeout rate in there too. Um, and I think it still would be, these four would be the ones that are green all the way through. 
The only problem with Lindor compared to the rest of those guys is age. But at 30, you know, I guess he's he's Seager-esque and he doesn't have the Seager-esque uh, volume problem. So I didn't necessarily expect Lindor, I think, to double his stolen base production and get to a 30-30 season uh, at his age. But there is something kind of um, Hall of Fame-ish about him where he's just like keeps going, you know, mm-hmm. and he doesn't quite seem to have the age um we're not seeing things that you would normally see at this point i guess the strikeout rates up a little bit but that's commensurate with some jump in his power um the stolen bases seem to be there even the defense at short is still there so i don't know why he won't do it again this year the the only problems that remain are it's a tough home park and he's getting older i guess not really really solid i think at this point for francisco lindor so Totally makes sense to me where he's going right now. Um, maybe someone you end up pairing with Acuna and a pitcher if you end up with that first overall pick in a draft this year. You mentioned Gunnar Henderson. He'll be part of the third base preview a little bit later in the week. we got a bunch of multi-eligible guys that you have to just put them somewhere. They have to go on a rundown. They can't be on every single rundown. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to tier two. This is um, this is a group that tails off a little bit more. These are all top 100 guys now, so it stretches a little further. Bo Bichette has never hit less than 290 in the big leagues. Leg injuries, I think, kind of slowed him down last year, although he wasn't running as much when he was believed to be healthy last year, which I thought was kind of weird, in part because... Back in 2021, Bo Bichette was 25 for 26 as a base dealer. <laughs> so he looked like a guy that, even though he didn't have crazy sprint speeds, like he looked like he was picking his spots really effectively and was just going to be a very good base dealer. So to see him run as little as he did last year, maybe 2022 going 13 for 21 was more of a red flag than I realized. I think there's a bounce back at least to like 10 or 12 bags. Everybody who can run a little gets bags now. Yeah. He's, he's probably going to do some of that. The average is fantastic. I think the power is still really steady, too. We saw some flashes of that in the second half. Now, they made changes at Rogers Center last year that seemed to impact a lot of hitters in that lineup. So I just wonder if the Jays' offense as a whole in year two with these new dimensions might actually find their stride a little bit and kind of bolster their entire group's counting stats as a result. Because Vlad Jr. took a bit of a hit. We saw Matt Chapman, who's currently a free agent, drop off quite a bit in terms of his production and bow around the injuries wasn't quite the same guy. So I like him quite a bit and I guess I have a little more confidence than most people at the speed is going to be there, at least in some capacity. Yeah. The OPS was a hundred points higher away from home for Bobichette last year 
the other salient one that you brought up uh, was that his uh, sprint speed went from uh, 83rd percentile in his rookie season to 42nd percentile last year. So I doubt uh, he's going to get much more than 10 stolen bases. Uh, that's where his projections are. But you still you still get those 10 stolen bases, not a zero. Um, and you're, you're getting a Seager-esque batting average. Um, and uh, just about uh, seven or eight uh, homers less. Although the steamer, uh, steamer says 25. Um, so it is a little bit like a Seeger light. Um, and that's why Bo Bichette by Steamer is the third best shortstop. So that's an immediate value just by projections. And I don't see a reason really to quibble with these projections. They seem fine. So I, I, Bo Bichette seems to be a guy to circle early on, especially since with Seeger and Ellie, we're talking, and, and even Lindor, we're talking about second round shortstops. With Bo, we're not talking about that. So now it's right. a lot more possible to say, I'm going to get somebody, I'm going to get a pitcher, and then I'm going to get Bo. And that's a decent plan, I think. Right. So you're looking at Bo somewhere in the back of round three of a 15-teamer. That's about pick 40. It's a toss-up with C.J. Abrams at the shortstop position. It's a toss-up against some of the kind of later SP1s, George Kirby, Glasnow, Pablo Lopez, maybe an early closer like Devin Williams or going to a different position, Jose Altuve. That's the cluster of players you're picking Seems from. Seems like a pretty clear win there. And and I would have to say, I don't like the back end of the top 10 of the starting pitching as much as the front end. I, I think there's something weird. Like, I, I almost wrote a piece being like, why is it so hard to rank a top 10, you know, starting pitchers? Like, you, you start putting five together, and you're like, what? Who's six? Mm -hmm. You know? So, um, you know, if you can get somebody in the second, I would recommend it. And then, you know, then Bo Bichette against those guys that you mentioned, I'll take Bo out, out over all of them. Yeah, Bo is a fifth at this position in terms of hard hit rate coming off of last season, 44.9%. That's actually a three-year low for him. He could actually be someone that hits the ball 95-plus half the time. He's shown us that skill before. Uh, tons to like in this profile. His aggression outside the zone, when you put it in context with aggression inside the zone, is not as bad as you might expect. Mm. Um, he swings inside the zone more than most people. I mean, only people who swing more inside the zone on the shortstop ranking that I'm looking at right now are Seager uh, and Ezekiel Tovar, which, you know, he might actually be <laughs> a little bit too too aggressive. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Seager, uh, like Boba Shett is aggressive with an, with an all-fields approach, which uh, has served him well. It's hard to say, like, you know, if you saw this in his rookie season, you like you might be fair to be like I don't know you know but at this point he's demonstrated that this approach works for him yeah yeah so definitely a guy we both like going into the 2024 season at the current price uh, CJ Abrams kind of has passed Bo recently we discussed him last week as a surprising top 50 overall player I've mentioned kind of flipping back and forth and and part of this is the age factor too right like when you look at CJ Abrams you can start to tell yourself a story that he's not a finished product uh, you can convince yourself that the Nats have absolutely no reason to back off his playing time. They should play him every day. They should let him try and figure out lefties. They should let him play through defensive struggles at shortstop, too, because he could be average there if he keeps getting more and more reps, right? 18 homers, 47 for 51 as a base dealer last year. You start to look at him and say, okay, well, if he could get on base just a little bit more, 
maybe he leads the league in stolen bases and he does it with non-zero power. Like a lot of the guys you talk about as possible league leaders in stolen bases don't have mm. a 7% barrel rate. Like that was a pretty big improvement down. for Abrams last year, getting from 2.1 up to 6.9%. Uh, swung fewer pitches outside the zone, so that's a nice step in the right direction. And again, just turned 23 in October after a minor league run that was disrupted by injuries and a pandemic-canceled 2020 season. I think like Elliot de la Cruz, uh, there's something here to be learned from Abrams' first season, which is, you know, yes, it's hard to improve your ground ball rate, but you have to think of what is your true talent ground ball rate. So when CJ Abrams comes up and has 300 plate appearances with a 50% ground ball rate, but never had a 50% ground ball rate in the minors, what's his true talent ground ball rate, right? And so... Maybe the 44% ground ball rate he put up last season, you know, in 2023 is Abrams real. That's a, that looks much more like in line with the rest of his stuff. And that's going to turn, you know, one, 110 max EV, which is not, isn't great. And he did improve on it, but that's going to turn, you know, averages power into averages power. Like if you hit 110 max EV and you hit 52% ground balls or 51% ground balls, you're not going to hit many homers. But there are plenty of guys out there who have like a 110 max EV and hit some fly balls and hit like 15 homers or 20 homers, you know? So yeah, like you said, non-zero power. I wouldn't expect him to to steal 35 bases next year, you know, with as the projections do. I don't get that part. Um, I do get some reticence like with Bobby Witt to say like, am I going to take a guy who has a sub uh, sub league average projection with the bat and put this much investment in him but that is the challenge at pick 40 but as with bobby witt the team situation is what do you think we're gonna do otherwise yeah you you just can't (laughs) cj abrams has to struggle so much to have even a hint of going back to the minors like that's not yeah that's not gonna happen right i mean it it shouldn't happen. No, I don't think so. I think it's even it's even like, you know, Victor Robles, they kept giving remember how many chances they gave Victor Robles, right? I do. I do remember. And like <laughs> and Abrams is, has is shown better already. So um yeah, I I get it. I get why you're why you're taking Abrams there with the stolen bases. I get it hundred percent. And um I don't hate it actually. Um I would take Bobochet in a second over him, though. I think agreed. I, I just think you get better categorical balance from Bo. Yeah, and it could also be determined by what you do with your first two picks. If you're speed light, you might go Abrams. If you're, you know, just if you if Austin Riley is your second rounder, yeah. Even then, I'd start to like. I'd rather gather along the way. Here's a a, a thing that Ariel Cohen points out about um about. Statistic was it you do called it categorical balance mm-hmm. is that if you draft a categorically imbalanced team and you lose one of those players to injury, which happens every year, then you could lose a category that you planned on being competitive in. Um, so that's something to think about. Uh, and then Mike Curland uh, had, a, had a good post about how Abrams really only had one great month last year. But I think uh, in the in the in the sort of uh, team context, it's it's not something I'd, I'd avoid completely. So you look at there's a, a drop within this group to Nico Horner 
And Nico Horner is a player that has a, a profile I typically don't believe in. He just doesn't hit the ball very hard. <laughs> and that's, I feel like I'm actually being really nice about it right now. Uh, Nico Horner had a 1.7% barrel rate. <laughs> it's, um, it's bad. There, there are three shortstops that are on the rundown today that are lower. Perdomo, Brian Rocchio, uh, and Jordan Lawler, who only had like 20 batted ball events. I'm, I'm going to guess Jordan Lawler is going to have a higher barrel rate in the long run than Nico Horner. So what are you doing with Nico Horner where he's going? Pick 65 oh. is the average spot. Like, are you Nico are you Horner didn't near? show up on my rankings. He's probably in the second base cluster for you. Well, here's an interesting thing. He had 20 games at shortstop. He only had 14 starts. Mm. So that's going to be, you got to check your, your, your settings on that one. Uh, because it is, he's a little bit more valuable if he has two positions, uh, a little bit more valuable at shortstop, I believe. Um, but yeah, I keep wanting more out of him. Um, he, you know, you've got that, that, that max EV that he's pushed from 103 to 109, 110. Um, and it's not like he hits the ball on the ground 55% of the time. He's just really into hitting line drives. <laughs> Um, and so he's got a lot, he's, he, he does well in sort of that, like five to 15 degree launch angle band. Uh, and look at that. His average LA is, is 10. So that's what he loves. He's, he's out there to hit line drives. I don't think he's going to, uh, hit like he, he could break out and hit 15 homers. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I, I don't know how comfortable I am, you know, adding more projection. He is 26. It could be the peak season that we're coming up on. But even a peak season, I think, looks like 15 uh, steal, fifteen homers and 50 steals. Still amazing. And a little bit better of a pure hitter than C.J. Abrams. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, so you get more average, most likely better OBP, so more stable place in the lineup, probably a better lineup around him with the Cubs. So you start to look at it and think, oh, maybe this is another Tommy Edmond, Whit Merrifield type player that, yeah, he doesn't crush the ball in the air the way we'd like him to, but he does enough other things really well where he's going to continue to turn in $20 seasons. That's possible. Uh, I do think the, you know, the, the playing time is super safe. A lot of the other younger players in here could hit some stretches where growing pains are, are more of a problem. Uh, Matt McClain goes right after Nico Horner. This is a, this is a really interesting grouping, though, just from an ADP standpoint and like where they go in drafts, because we talked we just talked about all the people people are super excited to pick, you know. Yeah. And then later there's the picks where well I need a shortstop picks, and there's you know the only ones that are kind of in this no man's land are Matt McLean and Nico Horner, like everyone else is top forty that we talked about before, and then after these guys everyone's. 100 under 100 you know so if you so there's a real sort of get your guy or wait uh thing and the only people that are in between are mclean and horner and i get it because horner's kind of like from a roto standpoint almost abram's light you know and uh and then matt mclean you know just feels like he was over his skis a little bit and you don't know how much you know you want to depend on you know, here's another guy with a 109 max EV that somehow turned it into 16 homers and 400 plate appearances. 
and that somehow is his home park probably on some level um but you don't know how much you want to depend on that going forward um especially from a guy who you know doesn't necessarily uh pull the ball a lot he's kind of a spray hitter a spray hitter with medium power is not someone that you think will hit 25 homers next year as his projections say i think that's that's the sort of soft spot in the mclean in in buying mclean there yeah, I think with Matt McLean, you know, the park goes a long way towards removing some of the worry. And by all indications, like he's a part of the fixture there. Like he's a guy that plays excellent defense at second base because he's good enough to play shortstop. They can mix and match and shuffle everybody around. So I don't really worry about things drying up on him completely from a playing time perspective. The categorical contributions are solid. The average last year was probably the thing that really jumped off the page for me. A 290 average. He's shown really good patience with a 28 time in the minors. Right? right. It's like, does he hit the ball hard enough to maintain that if the K rate doesn't improve? K rate could get better, right? It's only 400 big league plate appearances. So there's, there's a chance he continues to adjust and, and gets better in that regard. But that's the. That's the trade-off. I, I just wonder if he's more of like a 265, 270 guy, which is totally fine, and if that power is getting a boost from Great American Ballpark, which it's not not a short-term concern. It's more of a, a longer-term problem if that's the case. But uh, I haven't found myself wanting to draft McLean early on when I've looked at different builds, trying to figure out how he fits into my teams. It just seems like a spot where I'm doing something else with the roster, and it's not really a knock on him as much as it's just a other stuff makes more sense. Maybe I'm getting a first closer in that range, like an Iglesias or a Bednar. Maybe I'm getting more pitching because you could get Freddie Peralta or Max Freed or Blake Snell. So I think there's just too much going on at the other position groups for me to be locked in on Matt McLean at his current ADP. There's something a little wild about his history, dude. You've got in the minor leagues uh, levels where he struck out 20% of the time and struck out 28% of the time. You've got <laughs> walk rates in the minor leagues of basically 16%, and then he comes up and he walks below average last year. Um, by the way, the way that he gets to walks is he doesn't swing. So he doesn't chase, which seems like a super positive, but he swung at 56% of the, of the balls he saw in the strike zone last year. That is the worst uh, in the shortstop rankings. So you got this uber patient guy that didn't turn it into walks. And then you've got a guy who had fly ball rates over 40% at every level in the minor leagues and then didn't in the major leagues. Uh, then you've got this sort of uh, this 14 stolen bases where you're like, which way is that going? Is that like, is that like a, a, a couple every month guy? Look at the splits. He stole six in August. I don't know. Like this guy could go anywhere. Like next year, I feel like this guy could do anything uh, between hitting, you know, 15 homers and hitting 30. I think he'd go anywhere between stealing 10 bags and stealing 30. Like he could have a 30-30 season. Yeah, it's possible. At 129 games between AAA and the big leagues last year, he went 28-24, and it wasn't like he did all of it at AAA and then barely did anything in the big leagues. Yeah. He spent more time in Cincinnati. And the power, the power's better than I was giving it credit for. It's a 10.8% barrel rate. So there's there's actual power there that's not just like the byproduct of the ballpark, clearly, right. just based on that quality of contact alone. The other weird thing in his profile compared to what Matt McClain was doing in the minor leagues he pulled the ball 
a lot more <laughs> yes. as a minor leaguer it's so than weird. he did in the big leagues. <laughs> Everything is, I don't understand. I, I it You could read it in a positive light, which is this guy makes adjustments. Like, yes, he did all these things that he didn't do in the minor leagues, and it's a little bit weird, but he had a 120 WRC+. Plus. And then maybe as the league adjusts to him, he goes, well, actually, what you didn't know is I'm not left-handed. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> He's going to be like, actually, I pull the ball a ton and have a 15% walk rate. If we want to play it that way, we can walk it, we can play it that way. So uh, I'm, I'm choosing to read it charitably, and um, I think he's a very interesting player. 90th percentile sprint speed, too. So yeah, that's, that's where you get the could have more green lights. If he's still walking, getting on base a lot and not hitting more homers, he'll probably steal more bases. So a lot of ways he could exceed based on the, the tools that Matt McLean brings to the table. Oh my God. We're from 40 minutes in. All right. We got to, we got to speed it up a little bit <laughs> from one puzzle to another last player in this group. O'Neill Cruz sitting with an ADP just inside the top 90 overall coming off of a, a really a lost season due to injuries, which we needed that information. We needed that season. Yeah. Odeo Cruz needed that 24, season. 24, 25, like you just want to know, is he taking steps forward or is he entrenched in who he is? Because he does have flaws, for sure. Yeah, it's um, it's an intriguing power-speed combo. Massive struggles against lefties going back to the 2022 debut. Some batting average risk, of course, but... You see a 25 homer, 21 steal projection from Steamer, and based on what he did in those first 87 games in 2022, and given the supporting numbers, I can't really argue against that. 51.6% strikeout rate against lefties is just amazing. Uh, I'm willing to take a shot on O'Neill Cruz. Uh, does a lot of things I like. Um, is not in my projection rankings again what is going on did you just but he didn't play enough or something well last year i think he played nine games before he got hurt oh, come on somebody's got to like substitute in guys like that somehow anyway um <laughs> he would fit uh right behind mclean i guess where's his adp around there like pick 90 so you're, you're still you're, mclean's going okay so closer to 60 in, in an effort to speed this along and make the transition and help. Uh, you don't have to make every transition uh, DVR. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to say that uh, I like O'Neill Cruz better than Xander Bogarts, uh, even though Xander Bogarts projects uh, much better. Um, and Xander Bogarts goes around 100. So in a similar spot, uh, I'm going to take O'Neill Cruz over Xander Bogarts because um, I just, you know, Xander Bogart's hard hit rate wasn't great. His barrel rate wasn't great. Uh, he's, he's super patient in the zone. Um, and he doesn't steal bases and he kind of, he kind of feels like a one category guy almost. Um, whereas I think O'Neill Cruz, even with his flaws, even with some zeros against lefties, uh, is going to manage a 240-250 batting average based on how hard he hits the ball and his speed. Uh, and so I'm I'm going to get, you know, a 240 average and maybe 25-25 uh, out of Cruz, whereas I see Xander Bogarts is kind of 280-15, you know, maybe some good runs in RBI. Your uh, disrespect 
towards Xander Bogarts knows no bounds. <laughs> it just continues to grow with each passing year. He did steal 19 bases last year. 19 for 21. I mean, that's really good success rate. Looks pretty repeatable. Yeah, he's on the wrong side of 30 now, but another one of those guys, I think you said maybe last week, you were looking at what players were actually doing in terms of what they earned year over year over year. Uh-huh. Bogarts is one of those guys, you look back at the track record, even if he's becoming a little bit oatmeal-y at this stage of his career, it's a really good track record. It's a high volume of playing time. He's dealt with some wrist injuries that may have sapped the power a little bit in recent years. I think he's going at a totally affordable price. They're just such different players. Like I look at O'Neill Cruz as the the YOLO parachute sort of player in round five or six, where if you built a more stable foundation, if you have FOMO from not getting a little bit like mine with the Vlad Vlad and Soto pairing, where you're like, it's boring, it's old. Yes, yes. If you do that early on, you get everything else, and you're like, you know what? I could take a shot here. It's it's mid late round six. I've got four or five guys already locked in that I feel really good about. I want something that could go right. I want a guy that could jump up and be a second rounder. If I throw Xander on top of Soto and and uh, and Vladdy, I'm I'm really kicking the can down the road with stolen bases. Yes. Uh, well, again, 19 for 21. I'm I'm a buyer on the stolen bases. Maybe just okay. project like 15 or something. But it's it's a good average. It's decent power. Should be a good run scored count and probably an okay RBI count from Bogarts, but doesn't get anyone excited, but it's, it's like the cheapest he's ever been. Xander Bogarts at pick 120? I'm fine with that as my wait on shortstop or middle infield option. Uh, I'm guessing you might like Dansby Swanson a little bit better just because you're getting more consistent pop. I mean, we've got a five-year stretch of double-digit barrel rates from Swanson. You're going to give up some average in OBP. Maybe... Fewer stolen bases, too, for Dansby Swanson just based just, on what he's done. That breaks runs my brain. Yeah, he's a better runner. That doesn't make sense to me. I've watched both these players play. How did Xander Bogart steal twice as many bases as Dansby Swanson last year? Like, I, I don't understand it. Well, do you think the 2024 Cubs... With Craig Council at the helm, which still seems like a weird. How did the how did the Brewers steal bases? They stole a lot of bases, didn't they? Brewers are aggressive. They've been pretty aggressive for yeah. most of the time. Council was there, but they've also been pretty young and inexpensive most of the time that he's been there too. Watson's still fast, seventy eighth percentile uh, stolen bases. I think if we're doing like a props bet against each other, I'm taking Swanson stolen bases over Bogarts. Oof, I think I'd take Bogarts, but it's close. It's close because I'm, I'm expecting a slight bump. For dance. We saw 18 stolen bases back in 2022, so we've seen maybe that's his relative ceiling mm-hmm. because he does enough other things where his opportunities get dinged a little bit. But I think I like both players where they're going. Like these these are very comfortable weight picks. Another round for Swanson, probably. For now, maybe. I, I don't know if that'd stick. Swanson is green across the board on my numbers too. It is about a 15 pick difference so far, but it's like a a one a one b as far as what you would do. Like I think they're very very good players where they where they currently go. Anthony Volpe is also part of this group. I actually took him in that draft and hold. We've been talking about a little bit. He goes right in this same range, a couple picks ahead of Dansby Swanson. But that's another sort of toss up. Struck out twenty eight point five percent of the time as a rookie last year. Somehow hit one eighty eight two sixty eight three fifty three at Yankee Stadium. It's a great place to hit. Struggled against righties as well, so same-handed pitching gave him some fits. Almost an identical slash line. I was there for his debut uh, in the park, and 
It was a little intense. I don't know if you He's remember got some that. expectations on him. Yeah. They like, yeah. Like there, there was like next Jeter and, and, and like he's from New York and the parents were there and the cheers were pretty crazy. And I don't know. I, I could just, I could read that home line as like, that was, that was more pressure. You know, he had more people in the stands. He knew, he knew where all of his high school buddies were sitting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, I think that, uh, I think that might've been part of it. So, you know, away from home, 229, 298, 411 is actually a 94 WRC plus. So that's a lot closer uh, to maybe what his true talent was last year, I would guess. The one thing that for me is that I, I can't tell a story with him. Um, I can't be like, well, he figured it out in the second half. His September WRC plus was 33. Uh, I can't be like, well, okay, he struck out a little bit less in the second half, but you know, he hit for less power. I, I do I want that? <laughs> I think I'd mm-hmm. rather he struck out 28 percent of the time and hit for power. So I, I tried to look at his graphs. I, I sent you one uh in a text i think it was yes, hilarious it i sent it to you right before you picked him or like as you were picking him it was it was a coincidence that you sent it because i was looking at volpe too you know? right and the story that i i guess i tell myself with anthony volpe is if you remember his double a season in 2022 he spent most of the year at double a got a little taste of triple a at the end of the season it was pretty bad for the first at least two months or so and then he kind of turned it on around june finished with an 18 homer 44 Steel season got the average up to 251. OBP was at 348. K rate was better than it was at high A. Really young for the level. There's a couple things going on. The ground ball rate actually jumped for Volpe. It's not in the the Ellie range, but for him, it's actually a pretty significant increase. 41.1 percent. Used to be a 50 percent fly ball guy. Yeah. Yeah. Usually hits the ball in the air more. The K rate at 27.8 percent for a rookie playing every day in that situation is not bad. I can live with that. 9% barrel rate, got to the power, decent amount. If he lifts the ball even more, we could see that tick up a little bit. Max EV is just not that good. And and there's there's like some graphs out there where they show, like, given your max EV, like, how much you should pull the ball and how much you should put the ball in the air. And, like, at a 1087, you, you're more likely to be like, hey, you should spray the ball and hit line drives. Mm. So, you know... 600 plate appearances and he never hit a ball 109. I'm just wondering if the if the approach does not match the physical tools. It's possible. It's also he's going to turn 23 in April, so maybe there's still maybe some more raw power that he's going to tap yeah. into. Based on scouting reports, Fangraphs grades, there's supposed to be more there. Yeah, 21 homer, 24 steal rookie season. I mean, he that's did not hit bad. 21, yeah, but I mean, yeah, and he did it without the 50% fly ball rate, so. And he's the only only rookie in MLB history other than Bobby Witt Jr. to go 2020 with a sub 300 OBP. <laughs> so it's worked out okay for Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, only six rookies have ever gone. 2020, oh, so you're by taking the way. you're taking him to to undo your Bobby Witt Jr. mistakes. Yeah, I'm trying to. <laughs> that's the best way to go about it. Try to try to erase past mistakes by. Risking making even bigger mistakes in the future. That's the that's the goal. We've got to take a, a collection of our, uh, of players at some point and and pick some favorites. So let's go from uh, where where is uh, he being taken? Uh, where's Volpe being taken? One thirty three. Yep. Let's go from uh, one fifty to two hundred. 
and pick guys we like. So in that range, we got Tommy Edmond, Trevor Story, Ezekiel Tovar, Willie Adamas. Have I missed anybody? That's pretty much the whole next group. Yeah, that's the whole next tier. I'm taking Adamas. I'm glad it's not just me, right? I mean, Willie Adamas <laughs> had a concussion in May, didn't seem to really recover from that particularly well. Offers a little bit in speed. I think he's kind of like a cheaper version of Dansby Swanson. You know, we haven't seen an 18 steal season from Willie Adames. There's a little bit of batting average downside. He's a max volume everyday player. He hits the ball hard. He's probably coming up on a big payday if he he's can turn things around for a down year. going into free agent season. I don't buy into it completely because the numbers say that uh, there's not really a, a connection there except for playing time. So he's going to want to play. He's going to want to play as much as possible. And the other thing that's up in years before, stolen bases. Mm, because yeah, so you think it's just one of those things it. you can do that you have some control over that you think might improve your your uh, your your payday. You know, so I could see him having a career year next year. Something that looks like 250, and this is, we're talking upside now, but you know, something that looks like 250 to 260, 30 homers, you know, 10 to 15 stolen bases. Yeah, 55th percentile in, in sprint speed. I mean, I know I'm pushing it a little bit, but <laughs> but if you have the desire, you know, uh, and no one's stopping you, then, you know, I, I, I think uh, I think that, that sort of level is still possible. And the projections aren't bad, 240, 27.7, the projections... Um, say that Willie Adamas is the best of this tier too. So I'm not, I'm pushing the projections, but to, to, to tell you the upside, but I'm not, I'm not pushing the rank much bad, but by that, you know? I, I think as we get more projection sets out too, I could see the bat X really liking uh, Willie Adamas. 12.4% barrel rate, second highest among shortstops last year. Only yeah. Corey Seager had a higher barrel rate. Yeah. Uh, so if you say like, who's, who's the best value at the entire shortstop position based on what's happening right now, it's probably Willie Adamas. Like you can't, you can't build a, a draft strategy around Bichette. it because I mean the Bobachet one that we uncovered is pretty good too. Yeah, Bo could be a first rounder going in round three. Willie Adames could be an easy top one hundred overall player who's going seventy five, eighty picks after the yeah. end of the top one hundred. So I really like Willie Adames. I'm in on Trevor's story where he's going right now as a speed play. You got him in our league. I did. I saw I'm, I'm already putting some money behind it, but the first two years of his six year deal in Boston really couldn't have gone worse and the elbow's finally healthy. The contact quality is still good, and normal he runs off well. Season, right? part normal offseason, right? Normal offseason. I love to see the normal offseason. We haven't had a full year of Trevor Story in this stolen base environment. I actually think mm. that's going to be the category that he thrives in. So I think part of the appeal for me with Story is if you're a little speed yeah, light you after your first seven or eight hitters. You get like 35. Yeah, I, I think you can actually bank on something close to that. Interesting. So I'm I'm in on story as a, a really nice value where he's going. Tommy Edmond, who you mentioned there, had wrist surgery in October. Mason Wynn is now on the roster for the Cardinals. Victor Scott is a guy I like. Victor Scott's coming. Tommy Edmond can play enough spots well where I'm not worried about him going. But they from also have Brendan Donovan. Like, so like, you know, yeah. they've got other guys that can be and move around. Um I don't know. I'm not fully out on him because he can still steal 30 bases and I think he will play. Um, and I guess I should use Tommy Edmond to kind of keep my 
you know, pants on when it comes to Victor Scott. But, uh, but there's, it's, I don't know. It's not my favorite pick. Yeah. I'd much rather have Adamus and story than Edmund in that tier. Here's a guy who projects in this tier, but goes a hundred, uh, picks later. You're talking about Carlos Correa? No, Luis Renjifo. Oh, that's a weird one. He Let's get Renjifo in just a second. 20 seconds, 20 cents less than Adamus, but we could put him in the next, in the next group, right? The 200s? He's in the 200s, so we've got him here in just a minute. Ezekiel well, we Tovar. We shouldn't go too fast past Tovar, yeah, who is super, super aggressive. Hasn't 45. turned. 45.4% of swing, man. I know. And, he, and he, the barrel rate and the max EV aren't great. I mean, there's if he played anywhere else, I don't think I'd be interested in him at all. And even if, even though he plays in Colorado... I could talk myself into at least two or three of the guys from the next tier as better straight up options. That's the problem I have with Tovar right now. It could happen someday. I just think the approach needs a lot more work before it's actually going to come together for him. Best prospect in baseball, Jackson Holiday goes in in this next group. And he finally found a level that he didn't just destroy in the 18 games he spent at AAA. I bet if he'd spent another 18 <laughs> games there, he would have destroyed it. Uh, like what? What's the timeline for Jackson Holiday? Opening day has to at least be on the table, even though things are so crowded, right? Like, just look at the track record he's putting together in the minors. Yeah, I like. I don't know why the Orioles aren't trading for Dylan Cease. I don't get it. <laughs> I just don't get it. I mean, we're talking about Mullins having, uh, you know, somebody possibly pushing for playing time. Hayes, Austin Hayes is at the top there. Colton Cowser is pushing him for playing time. Santander has Heston Kerstad pushing him for playing time. Ramon Urias and Jordan Westberg are in a death battle for playing time. Ramon Urias is, you know, the backup at Go- uh, for Gunnar Henderson. Uh, you got Mountcastle and O'Hearn at first. Like, you're, and this doesn't even include Connor Norby and Joey Ortiz. Why not trade Connor Norby and Joey Ortiz, who are afterthoughts on this depth chart for, for Dylan Cease? I don't get it. So Holiday, he just turned 20 in December. So what he did last year between, you know, it was actually low A through triple A, played at four different levels last season. Just absurd. 154 WRC plus or better at those first three stops and was still better than league average in that brief time he was at triple A. He was just human at the level there's power there's speed there's tons of ways for him to make value and it just looks like he's so polished that he'll make those adjustments a lot faster than most so i do think for a prospect who's shown as well as he has and has been hyped the way he has it's pretty good value in a redraft right now you don't usually get to say that because of the uncertainty about the playing time that's of course where where the risk comes in 24 stolen bases and 12 homers across four levels and about uh, two-thirds of a season. Yeah, so it's less than a full season. Depend a little bit more on the stolen bases than the power. I think the power is some sort of question mark. There's been some higher ground ball rates uh, and some pretty low fly ball rates for Holiday. Um, he might be more of a guy who has a high OBP and a medium slugging, um, but is but also a high average and uh, high stolen bases. Uh, somebody that gets to 
things that Mateo did, but in a very different way. <laughs> With much better plate skills. But could he do like a, a 13.35 and, a, and like a 260 batting average uh, and be better than 2022 Mateo? I bring up Mateo because Mateo is also on that depth chart at shortstop, but uh, the you know all the flaws came home uh, last year for Mateo, and he was a .5 win player. So I believe he's already uh, a backup on that team. So then it's just a question of, do they want to go into the season with Gunnar Henderson at short and Urias uh, starting every day and Mateo as the, you know, everywhere backup infielder? Um, or do they just go for it with Holiday at short opening day? It's just, it's like such a clear path for him. Even with, he, he's part of the reason it's crowded. Like that, That's Jackson Holiday. He's, He's part of the reason some of the other guys aren't going to play. Other prospects, that is. Mm-hmm. And just only seeing the Jorge Mateo name ahead of him on the depth chart, that should just make you laugh. Like, come on. Yeah. like, What are we talking about here? If if Holiday has a miserable spring, maybe they send him down for a little while, but I think he's up relatively early, if not on the opening day roster. So increasingly, um, I'm very interested in Holiday for redraft purposes. Of course, we're all very interested in keeper dynasty leagues because he's going to be a star seemingly in the years ahead. Uh, Jeremy Pena year two brought some improved plate skills with the barrel rate. This is a strong guy that didn't barrel the ball very much. It went from 9.6% as a rookie to 4% last year because the ground ball rate went through the roof. He wasn't very efficient as a base dealer, just 13 for 2020 for 13 for 22 last year. So you worry about the possibility of losing some green lights. You wonder where the power went. Could be a high volume player though. Great glove at short, so playing time looks really safe for Jeremy Pena. I'm buying based on on you know the projections uh, actually have him as a ten dollar player in a fifteen team league. Uh, he's he's fine. The project the steamer likes him better than Volpe, you know, um, and better than Edmund. Um, so I'm I'm cool with it. I, I, I we can parse, you know the different parts of his line but yeah i think you're buying basically a 2010 season um at shortstop without a real uh risk in the batting average so you know yeah his ground ball rate went up and there's some things here and there that are weird but he's demonstrated the ability to make contact and make powerful contact and play every day and steal you some bags like i'm fine with it you know, in fact, him versus Swanson, like, it's not that big of a difference in projection. Funny how that works. Yeah, uh, I do <laughs> like him as more of a middle infielder, though, than a weight on a shortstop in a deeper league scenario. I think you might be cutting it just a little bit too thin in terms of your counting stats if uh, if Jeremy Pena is your actual shortstop all year in a 15-team league. Uh, Vaughn Grissom going to play second base in Boston, but is shortstop only to begin 2024. I just wonder, is there more power coming? He's been pretty efficient on the base pass at several stops in the minors. You know, pretty good plate skills, gives him a chance to a prominent spot in the Boston lineup. Maybe he moves based on the handedness of the opposing starter, but uh, the playing time should definitely be there since he was the, the piece that they got back by flipping Chris Sale to Atlanta. I think he's uh, very much like Pena, except I just can't give him 20 homers, you know? So I think he's more of a 280-15-15 guy. Uh, the the stick seems like in terms of making contact, BABIP, you know, 
that seems to be his best foot forward. I think he's going to have a good batting average and and 10 steals. The power, I'm going to give him like 8 to 12. So it's uh, it's not quite the, the Pena-esque package, but I'm into it. Um, you know, where would I take him? I would take him um, around J.P. Crawford and Zach Neto um, as, you know, guys that go later that in deep leagues are totally fine. In fact, all three of those guys project for, you know, you know, something like, you know, 275 with some power, with some speed. You know what I mean? It's like, yes, one of them will hit a little bit more for power and one of them will steal more bags. Um, but, uh, you know, I would circle that trio Crawford, Zach Neto and Vaughn Grissom as, uh, sort of the last acceptable MIs in 15 team leagues. I don't I don't really want to get worse than that. I think Neto can be in that group for me. I think he's got really nice core skills and I think playing time wise like they have a lot of confidence in him. They're going to let him play. Makes good swing decisions, you know, 59th percentile sprint speed so he could steal 8 to 10 bags pretty easily. Uh, only played 48 games in the minors before the Angels <laughs> had him debut. Uh, the guy that doesn't fit in this cluster for me is Carlos Correa. Like I, I get it. It was disappointing last year. And if you play in a 10-team league or even a 12-team league, there's probably a point at which you had to strongly consider, maybe even actually had to cut Carlos Correa. Yeah, you might Not personally have, have some anger against him. <laughs> yeah, but this seemed like a, a really bizarro sort of outcome for him. Barrel rate was still in line with career norms at 9.6%. So we didn't lose a lot of contact quality. K-rate only jumped from 20.5% the year prior to 22.6%. He was still drawing walks. Slight uptick in ground ball rate, but right in line with his career norms. And Carlos Correa, yeah, he's been around forever because he debuted so young. He's still 29. Yeah. So the the usual doesn't run, doesn't steal bases thing applies, but I just don't think he's lost that much in terms of skills. I think you're going to get a very good batting average. You're going to get a boost in the runs and RBIs, and you're probably getting something closer to low to mid-20s home runs again. Yeah, I'm into it. I think the in one easy way of looking at it, just say he had a 272 BABIP. He's at a 315 for his career, and uh, it was the worst uh, it was the worst BABIP of his career, you know? But the only caveat I have to throw out there is plantar fasciitis is what he was dealing with. You know, is that something that can go away? Is he going to need surgery on it? Albert Pujols... Uh, had plantar fasciitis and and that contributed to him being the slowest player in the game. Um, and when you're slower than the backup catchers, then you have a problem. Um, but I would just say uh, I'm gonna I'm give like I'll give him this year, especially since the price is so low. I'm gonna buy this year if he turns in another 280 minus uh, BABIP. Then you know then I'll say okay, well this is who he is now. He's he's just the slowest shortstop out there. <laughs> right yeah 33rd percentile in sprint speed last year he was he was 45th percentile though in 2022 and only 48th percentile in 2021 so he's been very productive without a lot of speed for the better part of the last three years that's that's why i'm willing to uh he ended up past it he ended up my uh he ended up in my starting lineup uh and i took him in the 16th round uh carlos correa and i Jeez. took him I I had wanted Pena, uh, but Pena went six picks ahead of him in the fifteenth round, um, and Vaughn Grissom and J.P. Crawford uh, went at the end of the sixteenth round. So that's absolutely last chance city, 
for uh, starting level MI, starting shortstop. I could have uh, hopped up Neto instead of Correa, um, and and he went in the 17th. But after that, it starts being Orlando Arcia, Mason Wynn, Ahmed Rosario, Tim Anderson. So like, keep an eye on that group. Uh, that's where you, uh, if you don't get one of those, you get in trouble. Adamas went in the 14th, Pena went in the 15th, and uh, you've got the Correa, Grissom, Neto, Crawford group in the 16th and 17th. So, Just an incredible discount on Carlos Correa coming off of a, a miserable, difficult season. Uh, you mentioned Renjifo before. Do you think he plays enough to hold up against the other players in this group? Like, We're not worried about Pena's playing time. We're not worried about Correa's playing time beyond health. Even Neto, I just think the playing time should be maxed out. J.P. Crawford should be pretty much a max volume player. He's in this group. That's the one area where I think Luis Renjifo could lag a little bit here, and that could make him less valuable than the rest of this tier. Do you, do you want to hear the most insane auction calculator result? It's just amazing. Willie Adames, as the 10th best shortstop with a $12.85 projection, Luis Renjifo as the 11th best shortstop with a $12.65 projection, Ellie De La Cruz as the 12th best shortstop with a $12.40 projection. <laughs> I don't know. The reason I didn't pick Renjifo, even though he was consistently near the top of my thing, and this is also a draft and hole that we keep referencing, where Luis Renjifo has uh, eligibilities at second, short, and the outfield, and in third. So a very useful player that is going to help you tread water in homers and stolen bases. Projections for 260, 21 homers, 10 stolen bases. You know, he had a 114 WRC plus last year, projected for 105, and he's capable in a lot of places. I do actually think he'll play. Here's what's happening. There is no DH in, in Anaheim anymore. Uh, there was a, I'll give him time. There was a pretty famous DH there. That left. And so uh, I think Drury is actually more suited glove wise to DHing. I don't know if he's suited temperament wise and hitting wise, because that is actually a skill, I believe. But in terms of putting your best out, uh, best infield together, I think Renhufo at second is the better infield choice than Drury. And so I think he's going to play, especially since Rendon we have no idea what he's going for. So there may even be much of the season where it's Drury uh, at second and Renhufo at third. Um, and so I do think he's going to play. I just couldn't pull the trigger um, over somebody like Correa or Neto, who I know is going to play. So I, I, I think Renhufo is a good pick. He got picked in the 17th by someone who probably felt a little, yeah, someone who felt a little uh, like they really needed a second shortstop and saw us go through that whole uh, thing, you know, um, you know, and got desperate. I think I would rather wait on Ren Hufo and get him in like the 20th or something. Ideally. Yes. It is nice to see two seasons in a row now where he's been actually above average from an offensive perspective, just with that WRC plus number. And with the OBP jumping up, right, the walk rate going up in 2023, that was some skills growth that I think we needed to see from Renjifo to really believe he was more than an extra guy. I think what tips it for me, I'm in unless they go out and add like J.D. Martinez or somebody who has to play a lot, either as a DH or to the infield mix, I think as it's currently built, 
he can top 500 plate appearances. I think that's where Renhifo is for me right now. So back of this tier, more like the guys that are in the pick 300 and beyond range, but that versatility probably gives him a little bit of a bump compared to the rest of the group. Beyond pick 300, you know, and I'm not trying to just ignore J.P. Crawford. He went to driveline last winter. He added thump. He's fine. There's just not one more. I put him in there. the last acceptable group uh, because I, yeah. I think he's there. But yeah, right. Clearly an MI, not somebody you'd ever want as your your starting shortstop beyond like AL only leagues. Of course, playing one of those, you could do okay with Crawford in that spot if you spend up everywhere else. Beyond pick 300, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of names out there. We'll just kind of pick on the ones that are most interesting. Ahmed Rosario, who's currently a free agent. Jordan Lawler played very sparingly in September. Orlando Arcia. Jose Caballero, Javier Baez, Tim Anderson, Geraldo Perdomo, Mason Wynn, and then you get a few prospects, Colson Montgomery, Jackson Merrill way down there. Uh, Brian Rocchio has been up and down a couple times with the Guardians. He could play a lot more this year. So if you're going late, and this is more for either your bench in a typical league or possibly for the draft and hold, like, hey, I need someone who's going to play a lot as a fallback option. There's one name of the first cluster that jumps out right Jordan Lawler could be a special player but is there anybody else from the non-prospect group that you you heard and you thought actually this is pretty good this this player might actually exceed expectations Mason Wynn a little more in the prospect group but okay yeah. what do you like about Wynn uh he spent the offseason bulking up he had a, a 110 max EV in AAA and a 103 in the in the big leagues mm. and I just believe that if he can get to that 15 to 18 level uh, power, you know, I see a, a bunch of contact and there's the speed there. Um, so you could uh, really get somebody uh, who might go 1530. You know, that's really not that impossible. Like if you're looking for a CJ Abrams this year, you know, the, the 2023 CJ Abrams, like, isn't this, isn't this like kind of it? A guy yeah, who people liked, who did different things in the minors, and then came to the majors and struggled a little bit at first, but you know did some things we liked in the minors. In fact, some of the same things that C.J. Abrams did: make contact, you know, hit more fly balls, you know, that sort of stuff. I, I think Mason Wynn is is a great pick, actually. Yeah, thirty five point six percent hard hit rate in the debut. Didn't chase a ton of pitches outside the zone, so I, I like that call a lot. There's a whole bunch of ways this can work, and I just saw a, a RotoWire update that Tommy Edmond might be slowed when spring training begins too. So his his greatest threat to sort of keep him off the job, even for a a stretch to begin the season, may be a early little bit spring. Behind. He gets all the reps, right? You know, and like yeah, that definitely helps. I, the old guys, I just prefer the young guys over the old guys in this group, I think, because uh, this is a group normally, let's let's say at least you, you have free agency. It's a little bit different maybe in draft and hold and stuff, but let's say your league has free agency. These are, these are players that you can give up on and then go get the old guy, you know? Um, yeah. And so, you know, do I think Javier Baez is kind of interesting or Tim Anderson on a bounce back? Sure. And yeah, if you like the deeper your league is, the more you should get those guys because they're a little bit more sure to playing time. Uh, But uh, I'm more likely in a league where there's free agency in a a mixed league, even if it's a little bit deeper, Giover uh, Piguero, you know, I think he's uh, the new Perdomo in a way. I've been, I've been fascinated by the fact that you picked correctly on Geraldo Perdomo 
Um, and, you know, in Piguero, I know that he struck out a bunch in the major leagues last year, but he had better contact, way better uh, walk rates in the minors. Um, if he just kind of makes the most of what power he has based on improving plate appearances, improving uh, plate discipline, um, you know, he's projected for 248-10-10. Do you think he can beat out? I like Jared Triola a little bit. I don't really like Nick Gonzalez. I think G1 Bay is a is a backup. I mean, it seems like second base in Pittsburgh is there for him to take. Yeah, uh, I think Piguero could be a perfectly fine option in that range. So no hesitation whatsoever if you're just looking for a lot of playing time and a, a what could go right uh, sort of player. Uh, you know, Perdomo. <laughs> the Perdomo shortcomings are easy to see. I mentioned before he was one of the few players near the very bottom of the hard hit rate and barrel rate leaderboard at this yeah. position. Just does not hit the ball hard. He's just very patient. And for me, it was it was playing time. It was just like, okay, he's going to get playing time. He's going to get on base. He's got some speed. He'll be useful in really, really deep leagues. I wonder if that's going to be the case for Jose Caballero. I mean, it mm-hmm. looks like he's going to be the opening day shortstop for the Rays. Uh, we're not going to see Wander Franco ever again, hopefully, just based on what we know about that and story. And I don't so, think uh, Caminero is really that well-suited for short. No, I, and I think if, if they're going to play him at short, they're going to want to give him time in the minors to get more comfortable there first. It just it doesn't seem like that's the plan. Uh, Taylor Walls, I believe, is hurt and also has had a chance at that job. Caballero's the guy they kind of sought out. It's cheap speed. Like He was 26 for 29 with just 280 plate appearances for Seattle. So if you're just looking to find some stolen bases for an AL-only league, for a draft and hold, I don't think Caballero's batted ball profile is going to change that much. He's got a long way to go to actually be even close to average in a lot of the metrics we care about. But he's a slick fielding shortstop who could play a lot and could help you get some of those late bags that are always nice to have uh, at your disposal on the bench. Projects as league average, which is something that uh, Oslevis Basabe cannot necessarily say. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, where the competition will be is between those two, uh, because Walls, I think, is pretty entrenched as uh, basically the the utility guy. Yep, just a, a solid bench player. I mean, Lawler, Jordan Lawler versus Mason Wynn is kind of a fun toss up for this year. And I would rather have Win on purpose. I, I'd rather have Win. I've been staring at Jordan Lawler's page, and I'm just wondering what the shoulder injury uh, has, what it has wreaked upon him. I, you know, a 108.6 max EV is not that great. A 33% hard hit rate is not that great. That's what he did in AAA. I wish I had those numbers for the rest of his, um, appear, his rest of his levels because, uh, you know, he's only had 114 plate appearances at AAA in, in Major League Baseball. Maybe I'm, I'm too fascinated with, the strength of his balls in play, but it's been poor. I so for this year only, I would I think I'd take Lawler over Win. I love the improvement we saw at Double A in terms of the K rate that came down. Another guy, much like Volpe, slow start at the level and then took off for the rest of the season. Got that very late cup of coffee. Didn't really play much at all once he did. 33 for 37 as a base dealer at double A. So I think there's speed right away. Mm. He's patient. He's shown the ability to cut down on the whiffs. And I think the quality of the contact will keep getting better. I mean, the ground ball rate actually jumped during the debut and at triple A. I don't think that's who he is from a profile perspective. There's a lot to like there. 
Yeah. I mean, he has, he has full levels with, with 50% ground ball rates. And I just don't think Perdomo is good enough to keep Lawler off the roster. It's Whereas the Cardinals alternatives are a little bit better than Perdomo. That'd be the, the What's one the Cardinals key difference. Really? Edmund at short? Edmund at short again. They could do it if they want to. All right. <laughs> they're both good players. Like there's, there's reason to take both. Uh, last few prospects to throw out there between Montgomery, Jackson Merrill. They both seem less likely to see early season time. Is Rokio in the, big the starting shortstop? And I think so. Do we I, care? I Do we Rokio. want him? He's a contact guy that for some reason just couldn't make contact last year. Really bizarre to see the the jump that we saw. The playing time was so inconsistent. 25 for 32 as a base dealer at AAA. Not a lot of power in that bat right now. No. It's worse than the Lawler numbers I was worried about. It's a little bit more like the Perdomo problem. Mm, yeah, it looks a lot like Perdomo. He switch hits, so maybe he's this year's Geraldo Perdomo. That's if you're looking for we that player. <laughs> hey, there's, there's places where that player could be helpful. Uh, Montgomery versus Merrill. Do you have any interest in taking redraft shots on, on either or both of them in deeper leagues? Uh, no, I think they're too far out. And if, if, if they're going to, if I'm going to take someone that, um, has playing time concerns and upside, I think I might take Ezekiel Duran. He's, uh, not available at shortstop in every league, but, uh, yeah, yeah, he should be 37, uh, starts there last year. Um, I just really like, he hit the ball super hard in terms of maxi B. The barrel rate's pretty good. Um, you know, he's also just, uh, he, he debuted at 80 WRC plus was not great, but it's not terrible. And then he went to one Oh seven the next year. He just gives me like that hitterish feeling like this guy knows what he's doing. Um, like 439 plate appearances last year, 14 homers, eight stolen bases, but the projections are all for 200 plate appearances because the Rangers are full, but the, he plays everywhere. So there's there's just one thing has to go wrong somewhere. Nate Lowe, you know, gets hit on the hand. Uh, Marcus Simeon's, you know, 700 plate appearance season streak gets, you know, put on hold. Josh Jung needs, to, you know, needs to go back on the knife. Anything. Any one thing goes wrong with the starter. And I think Ezekiel Duran is playing again. Yeah, I think he's a, a fun uh, utility sort of player for those deeper formats. I, I like that call. But I think he could play his way. Also, he could be traded. Like I, I don't think he profiles as a utility player. You think he profiles as a regular? Yeah, I think his glove you sort of hide. Yeah, the glove hasn't been great, but you know, it, it, it could. He hasn't really settled down. You know, at a position. At some point, I would just say, make him a third baseman, make him a left fielder, you know, give him a long run there. Yeah, I, I like Duran. Uh, I like like him as a, an extra glue guy for a deeper roster. Uh, of the other prospects, I think the White Sox plan for Montgomery, my guess would be minor leagues until late August, early September. Give him a taste of the big leagues at the end of the season. Keep the rookie of the year eligibility intact and make him an opening day fixture starting in 2025. So I don't have a lot of interest in in yeah, that. Yeah, he profile. just got the 37 plate appearances. This White Sox team is going to be terrible, real bad. I, I was looking at their bullpen and like I like Gregory Santos a little bit. He just went in our league and I was like, okay, I'll put you know because I had Santos near the top of my queue. <laughs> I was like, uh, and then he went. I was like, oh man, that's that was earlier than I wanted him to go. 
And then I was like, oh, I'll just take the guy behind Santos. There is no guy behind Santos. <laughs> I, no, I, uh, have, I have projections, uh, the PP projections that are based on Stuff Plus. The best pitcher behind Santos is Tim Hill with a 4.5 ERA projection. It only gets worse. So they they have to unearth a couple of bullpen gems just to be respectable in the late innings. Like they just it, not easy to find it right now. Yeah, I think it's going to be bad. Um, so I don't think that that you know they signed Paul DeYoung, they got Brandon Shoemake. If even if DeYoung gets hurt or just craps out, they can give Shoemake a chance before they go to Montgomery. All right, Nikki Lopez is there. Just. A whole bunch of guys they can throw out there at shortstop before uh, promoting Montgomery. Jackson Merrill got 46 games at Double A last year. You know the Padres' money woes could maybe open some doors for prospects a little sooner than expected. But I would imagine back to Double A to start the year and then but extensive time at Triple A. But like, do you want him to play in El Paso in San Diego or open doors somewhere else? Now, in San Diego, if if there's an injury, I, I just think to, there's oh they trade Kim. And Machado gets healthy, and so they move Bogarts to second and bring and bring up Merrill. Yeah, that's that's in the realm of possibility. And they don't have the Carpenter or Nelson Cruz old guy DH thing going on right now either. So that's another spot where they can move people around. Bogarts to third, Merrill to short, and Machado to first DH for maybe for the time Manny's coming off the injury. But yeah, there's there's just ways to make this work. And I think that's what It looks like a really nice refined approach. I mean, really high contact. Um the ISOs I wonder, you know, he's got uh 35 45 game power from Fangraphs. Um and you know, he's he's been putting up ISOs around 170, which when you're fast, uh that's easier to do without really actually having much power. So if he does make the big leagues, I would bet on the speed more than the power, I think. Yeah, I think it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think it's more likely that Jackson Merrill gets an extended run with the Padres than it is that Colson Montgomery gets an extended run with the White Sox this season, just based yeah. on where these franchises are at and all the time that Montgomery lost to injury. I know he was really good in the fall league and I like his long-term future. I just think the White Sox have every reason to be careful with him this year, make sure he's completely ready to go for a very late call-up. We did it. We got through one position. Took an episode and a half's worth of time to do it, but we we got it done. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Uh, the good news is more episodes throughout the week. As I mentioned, four for this more week. More than an hour exact. and a half long episodes, I guess. It's, Probably I mean, there's longer episodes. a lot episodes. of players in every position, yeah. You got to try to get to everybody. And yeah. uh, we've got a special that's going on, of course. We always do. Theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. $2 a month for the first year. Gets you all the fantasy baseball content, all the real baseball content, and the other sports we cover all for one low price. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.